pull back from singing with you a little bit this evening. I sang along some. That's of necessity rather than desire, I assure you. I've called Derek late on Saturday nights. I've called him early on Sunday mornings. I don't think I've yet walked out the aisle and patted him on the shoulder and said, the Lord bless you, brother, preach. But I was worried if I sang all the hymns tonight, I might put him in that territory. So um, I apologize, but I think the voice has been at work of late. Uh, Let me on that note say a a very hearty thank you for your prayers the last 10 weeks uh, as I've been teaching in the seminary. Uh, That is finished. This is exam week. I would say all the pressure's on the men, but I have an exam that is not completely written yet, so I have homework to do tonight, um, lest one of them show up in his zeal at 6 a.m. tomorrow, and an exam is not waiting for them there. But um, I do appreciate your prayers. that you have exams this week, and then Thanksgiving week off, then there's a three-week module that uh, Dr. Larry Saunders from our Toronto church will be teaching by Zoom to the men. So at that point, I'll begin what I was doing for the bulk of last year, and just going down one day a week to hold chapel service with the men and have office hours and, I guess, do whatever else needs done. But I do appreciate your prayers. that The Lord gave great help in these ten weeks. I want you to turn with me this evening to the psalm we turned up and read part of this morning, Psalm 19. We finished our little survey of the Psalms of Asaph, and I thought since we were in this psalm this morning, really for the opening part of the psalm, and in some ways the portion of the psalm that applies to the ungodly and not to the redeemed, um, that we'd come back to the psalm this evening and consider it as a whole. So Psalm 19, to the chief musician, the Psalm of David, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath He set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven and his circuit unto the ends of it. There's nothing hid from the heat thereof. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. 
Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Well, amen. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's bow our heads together. Our Heavenly Father, tonight we rejoice to sing your praise. We think of those words of Newton that when we'll see you as you are, we'll praise you as we ought. Lord, far more than the physical limitations and infirmity of our voices and our bodily frame, Lord, it will be a glorious thing to be delivered from those things but how much more to be delivered from the sinful tendencies of the heart, from sin itself, which of course is the root of the other infirmities. And so we pray toward that day. We're grateful that we can say with Top Lady as we've sung tonight, more happy, but not more secure. The glorified spirits in heaven They tonight do sing with unsinning hearts. But we are no less secure than they. You have written our names upon Jesus, both upon the cross and upon the throne. And we come tonight seated together in heavenly places in and with Christ Jesus. So encourage us tonight the securities and the comforts of the gospel, and help us even in turning our attention again to this most important psalm. And we pray these things in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. Well, as I said, we looked at this psalm this morning, and in particular the opening six verses of the psalm. In many ways, though it's not quoted there, it is quoted later in Romans actually, but In many ways, the portion of Romans 1 that we considered this morning is an unfolding of the truth that is put forth in this psalm so plainly. If you look at the psalm, it has really a broad reach. It's from the sweep that we read and considered this morning of the wordless revelation that is in the heavens to the clarity. And you see those refrains that we'll look at more in a moment to the clarity of the written Word and that Gospel that is contained therein. And then really a third section of the psalm clearly puts itself forth. There's a reverent response in the heart of the psalmist to all of the revelation that has been described. So I want this evening to perhaps move quickly through the opening section that we read and considered this morning But that truth of general revelation, the universal accountability that it sets before us. You see how plainly it is stated here. Day unto day uttereth speech. Night unto night shows knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. There are none that can claim exemption from the light of nature shining unto them. There are none even that can claim exemption from the light of conscience that we'll see unfolded later on in our study of this opening part of Romans. 
here the accountability of all fallen men is plainly set before us. It's interesting when you contrast this opening section with the second section. This opening section, the very opening phrase, the heavens declare the glory of God. It is here that general name and title of God in the Old Testament, El, that is put before us. And in contrast to that, we'll see and emphasize in a few moments that when you come to the second part of the psalm, beginning in verse 7, that the covenant name of God, Jehovah, is used not once but seven times as the psalmist reflects upon special revelation that is given. But we marvel when we consider man and his blindness and that chosen and willful depravity. Blinding his eyes to what is plainly set before him day by day. One I was reading commented about the reference in the second verse to night. Night unto night showeth knowledge. And he said, what if there were no night? If it were but a constant day, those heavens, you think of the vast distances and the stars that shine. What knowledge indeed is given there. And yet men shut their eyes and shut their hearts to it. I had a smile some time back. I was reading an article from the Christian or Creation Ministries International. Again, we were so blessed with their visit. We've been blessed each time, but uh, this last one just particularly enjoyed the one with regard to the dinosaurs. But they had an article in their email some time back about scientists and the studies and the rovers that have been placed on Mars now and all the things that they're seeing. And they said that some have even suggested that potentially there was at one time a global flood on Mars. When I grew up, we were taught there was no water on any of the other planets. Maybe they've found some evidences of small quantities of water now. But of course the article said, what folly to be talking and banding back and forth in their science journals and conversations about whether such a flood happened on Mars, and yet all the while denying the evidence that surrounds them of a global flood here on this earth. Again, you almost can't make stuff like that up. And yet there's the heart of fallen man, blinded to the light that shines to him from the evidence of creation and that, as we call it, general revelation. It is that which is enough to hold men accountable. And you see that opening chapter of our confession underscoring so much. But we saw something of that and considered the truth of it this morning. So we come to the seventh verse and the second section of the psalm. Here we pass to what we call in our doctrinal formulations special revelation. From that wordless revelation in creation to the clarity, the specificity of the written word to man. I look at the seventh verse often. I've quoted it often in class in the seminary when I teach the course on theological systems. 
one of the arguments that is put forth or was put forth half a century ago really now by Charles Ryrie is that our view of redemption being the theme of the Bible is too narrow. Ryrie suggests that the Bible has a broader theme. The theme is the glory of God. And we see that glory manifested in various things. I've heard dispensationalists often claim that there's a long list of things that come under that. I think one of the only things I've seen suggested other than what we see in redemption of salvation and judgment is that there's also a judgment of angels and you know they're not part of us. I tell the students that they don't understand perhaps in reading Ryrie or Ryrie's audience that the previous generation of dispensationalists that Ryrie was seeking to defend had been criticized for not seeing the unity of the Scriptures. The continuity of the written Word through the Old Testament and into the New. And that is, it's been called before, the scarlet thread of redemption that ties the whole together. It's clear really to any reader of Scripture that that's the theme of the Bible. Rari seeks to turn a weakness into a strength when he wants to suggest what they call the the doxological theme of the Bible instead of the redemptive theme. But you see the point, and I use this psalm in discussing it, is the glory of God, that doxological purpose, would not in any way be put in jeopardy if we could reverently speak this way. The theme of the glory of God would not be in any way put in jeopardy if the Bible had never been given. For the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows His handiwork. But special revelation, of which redemption is the the culminating part, or the Scriptures rather is the culminating part, we would have no Gospel. Redemption would be put in jeopardy if the Bible had not been given. And we see this unfolded as this psalm transitions from what we call general revelation to special revelation. General revelation is sufficient to hold men accountable for the evidence and the understanding of the Godhood of God, of the Creator and Ruler and Judge of all things, and their accountability to Him. But when we pass to special revelation, there is God who is clearly revealed and understood as the judge of all the earth, but who now reveals Himself as the Redeemer of sinners. And here we come and read the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. This Bible is a message of redemption. And you look through this chorus really, and well, we are in Old Testament poetry here. And the sequence here of the descriptions of that Word, in many ways it's a parallel or an echo of Psalm 119. That extended treatment, that extended reverence and awe of the written inscripturated Word. And one of the characteristics of that psalm 
is true in the psalm that's before us. There's a sequence of synonyms describing the Bible. Synonyms describing different aspects of the Word of God. This list isn't as long. It isn't as full as the list of descriptions of the Word in Psalm 119, but it approaches that list. And so look here as we come to this section dealing with special revelation at how the Word is described. It's described first as the law of the Lord. And here it speaks to us of the revealed will of God. That which He plainly sets before us. And that we find is perfect. It is complete. As He speaks secondly then of the testimony of the Lord. It is describing the same Word. But here we we look at it from the perspective of the law. What God has spoken is revealed. It is known. We're accountable to that. It is complete. But this that is given is His testimony. There is a divine stamp upon it. God has given testimony to it. I'm always taken back by the terminology in Hebrews about God who cannot lie. And yet He confirms His Word by an oath. He gives testimony to the truthfulness. He gives testimony to the fullness of what He has said. And that is sure. You think about all our different relationships in the earth. We do it the best we can when we come to a courtroom and we require an oath and we seek from every means to let the evidence come alongside and confirm the word or the testimony that is given in the courtroom. And we put all these safeguards as best we can or should be trying to do because of the inherent tendencies of men to bear false witness, bear false testimony. Not so with God's Word. He cannot lie. And He Himself gives attestation to the truth of what is written. And then they're described His words as statutes. Here are the precepts. And following on, the Next phrase is quite similar. These synonyms are close. The commandment of the Lord. And here we find that these are speaking of the precision and the authority of the words that are given. They're not things that can be ignored. We can't just say that's interesting to know. They're binding upon us. They're commands given by a lawgiver. And we are subjects of that lawgiver. It's something men can't change. I saw a headline I didn't read this week, but evidently there are a few counties in Oregon that want to see if Idaho will take them in. 
and uh, be part of greater Idaho instead of Oregon. Like I said, I didn't read the article, but I can only imagine the motivations. Well, God's creatures can't just decide to be subjects of someone else, to be accountable to something other than God's precepts and God's commandments, because they're His. And it speaks here of these being right and of these being pure. The moral integrity, the purity of God's Word and God's law. If you look at the law of God, and again, it's, it's marvelous in many ways that men seek to come out from under it. We tried to emphasize in our opening studies in Romans when we began looking at the wrath of God, underscoring the truth that what God is angry at is that which brings harm, that which introduced death to His creatures. And we think of the other side, the positive side of that. What do God's precepts and commandments bring. They bring life. They bring delight. They bring joy. Would you rather live in a world where every man did that which is right in his own eyes and violence covers the earth? Fear dominates your world? Or a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness? where the child can play in the snake's nest. No problem. Where the lion lies down with the lamb. No problem. The law brings harmony. For love is the fulfilling of the law. And so the statutes and the commandments of the Lord And then it's described in the ninth verse as the fear of the Lord. Something of the response fostered by His Word. And yet we see there are times even when God Himself is described as, what is the phrase once? The fear of Isaac. A title that's used in the patriarchal period. Here, that fear of the Lord is clean. Enduring forever. The judgments... Finally, of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. You think of God's ordinances in contrast to human perspective. God's perspective on all of our situations. The judgment of God is according to truth. We'll read in Romans. Here it is true and righteous altogether. Here is how the psalmist reflects and understands those specific words of God. The clarity of the written Word in addition to that wordless revelation, that which speaks ultimately of accountability and condemnation to fallen men. The Word, though, brings a message of redemption. It brings a message of atonement. It brings a message of the just and justifier of him that believeth 
in Jesus. But I want to move from verse 12 to the close of the chapter before the voice is finally gone. Keep back, verse 13, thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright and shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. What a prayer. What a meditation as David reflects upon the heavens giving the glory of God a voice. As he reflects upon the Word, we're not given the context or circumstances of the psalm, but think of those many nights David must have spent among the sheep watching the Father's flock. And you think of the clarity of the skies without modern artificial lighting. You think at times of a more arid climate. If you've ever been out west, if you can double, if you can get two things together, a drier uh, pocket of air over your head and then a little bit of elevation, and you go to some of those high peaks in the western mountains and the dryness of the air, the stars stagger the mind. How many times must David have looked up into the night sky and marveled? How many times has David looked into the Word of God as he was a recipient of such glorious revelation? As he could even think of those sheep that he watched and perhaps those taken out from the flocks that were used in sacrifice to prefigure the Lamb of God. As David meditates on, I say, what is revealed in the heavens and what is revealed in the Word, his heart goes to his own condition and his own needs. And he prays to be kept back from sin. He prays that God would search him. He prays that God would let the words of his mouth, the meditation of his heart, be acceptable in God's sight. You think of the understanding that lies underneath this prayer. He has given a proper meditation on God's law. He renders penitence, not merely for His deeds. He renders penitence here. He renders heartfelt requests for the issues that surround the inclinations of His own heart and mind. He knows that God sees all. He prays to be kept back from presumptuous sins. Even in contrast to actual transgressions. He prays to be kept back from ultimate apostasy. You think of being innocent from the great transgression. What a lesson for our daily lives. To do battle with sin at its earliest entrance. He doesn't say, Lord, let me entertain evil thoughts. And then let me entertain just mild transgressions out there in my day-to-day life. Just keep me back from ultimately falling away and perishing under Your wrath. No, that's not His prayer. 
His prayer is, Lord, help me and deal with me and forgive me for the slightest inclination of heart that is contrary to you and to your law. He prays to render acceptable thoughts as well as acceptable deeds to his God. The God who has graciously revealed not only David's accountability, but the avenue of David's salvation. General and special revelation. What a gift. What a mercy that God has not left Himself without witness. But He has called us. As we read in Acts this morning, calling all men everywhere to repent. Calling all men everywhere to faith. To believe in the work of that second man. The Lord Jesus that brings many sons to glory. Well, I trust the Lord will prosper our meditations on this familiar and important psalm. Not only the warning that it brings to those outside, that they're accountable because light is shining, but the grace and the gospel revelation that converts the soul that it brings to us. Let's bow our heads together. Lord, we're grateful that You didn't leave that first man alone, dead in his sins to immediately experience the fullness of that death. But that You were long-suffering. Slow to anger, plenteous in mercy. And You purposed the means of salvation. Lord, what a wonder that You've revealed Yourself to us. Give us the heart of the psalmist to be held back from sin. That the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in Thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Lord, we thank You the words of redemption. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.